imagine I grew up in a very restrictive household and then I'm set out into free consumer land, you know, where I can buy what I want, eat what I want, live like I want. It's going to feel liberating. But in fact, there's someone who's in control the whole time. You know, it's again, my boss, it's the people that are selling me things. It's my friends or my relationships. There's always someone who you're serving. So the question is not, how do I be free from any constraint? Because no one can live like that. No one lives like that. There's no such thing. Question is, what what kind of thing do you want to serve? You're, you have to serve something. And the things that are right for you to serve, it feels genuinely restful. And like, you are who you are. It might be hard sometimes. There might be things that you really, really don't want to do that are very painful, but you learn to trust it and you know that your good is involved. <music> Welcome back to Experable. I'm your host, Krati Mehra. And in this show, we learn from the success and struggles of people we admire and dive deep into concepts that help us expand the possibilities available to us so we can freely, boldly design the life we desire, discover the depth and breadth of our capabilities, access the wisdom available in the world around us, and even on really bad days, love what we see in the mirror. Are you ready? Let's go. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Experable. Today I'm sharing with you my conversation with Zina Hitz, who is a tutor at St. John's College in Annapolis, where she teaches across the liberal arts. She's also the author of Lost in Thought, The Hidden Pleasures of an Intellectual Life, and A Philosopher Looks at the Religious Life. In 2020, she received the Hyatt Prize in the Humanities and founded the Catherine Project, an open liberal arts program for adults where she now serves as president. I was really thrilled to have Zina Hitz join me for this conversation because I believe that religion is a great source of inner peace, power, and a very reliable source of guidance. And I wanted to talk about that on the show for so long. But this conversation, considering there are people in this world who are just as, if not more religious than I am, and they seem to be using religion for purposes that I don't agree with, or even understand. So a conversation of this nature has to be more nuanced, considerably so. And it has to take into account the complexity and also the impulsivity of human nature. A task that I don't think I am very capable of, which is why I was so, so glad to have Zina Hitz agree to be a guest and discuss this topic. And you'll see why as you listen to the conversation. And we went really deep into this topic. We talked about how faith shapes our lives, challenges societal norms, and bridges the gap between different beliefs. We discussed how best to handle religious differences and the challenges of balancing conviction with tolerance. We explored the concept of asceticism and its relevance in a materialistic world. And we also talk about the coexistence of religious inclinations and hatred towards others. This was an amazing conversation, and despite the topic, unexpectedly enough, there was an ease to it, and that was because of our guest. So I, with great confidence, recommend this conversation for anyone looking for an anchor in their life, a force of positivity, something to guide and ground them. If that is something you're looking for, you must listen to this conversation. If you are already religious, but you have difficulty articulating your feelings around it, you want to know how best to have conversations that share your beliefs with others, then this episode can really help. So I'm very excited to share this episode with you. 
let's dive in. Thank you so much. I am so super thrilled because I've seen your videos. I've read your book, A Philosopher Looks at the Religious Life, and I am so thrilled. I have so many questions. Super excited. Thank you for doing this interview. Delighted to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Of course, it's a, it's such a pleasure. Um, okay, let's let's start with the book itself. Uh, a philosopher looks at the, uh, at religious life. Why did you write this book? What led to its conception, and why did you want to share it with the world? Um, it's I'm afraid that's not the most exciting story. So, um, the I'll start with what happened most sort of last, which was that an editor from Cambridge University contacted me because they have a series um, called A Philosopher Looks at Some Topic. So there's A Philosopher Looks at Sport, and A Philosopher Looks at Work, A Philosopher Looks at Human Beings, A Philosopher Looks at Digital Technology. So she thought I would, should do one on the religious life. Now, the more interesting part of the story is why she asked me to do that. And I said yes, because it seemed like a good idea. Um, I, I liked the challenge of... I always enjoy the challenge of trying to reach across uh, social boundaries. And, you know, where I live in the U.S., there's religious people and there's non-religious people and they don't talk to each other. So I, I, I really wanted the opportunity to communicate across the boundary. Um, but the reason why she asked me was that I wrote another book uh, a few years ago and came out in 2020 and it was about the value of study and learning um, and leisure in a good life. So how these things are not for just elites, they're for everyone. But I started by telling how I had come to a kind of insight about that. And I, I had come to this insight, which was central not only to the book, but also to the way I lived my life. I'd come to that by living for three years in a religious community um, in uh, Eastern Ontario. So I'm, I'm Roman Catholic. So it was a Roman Catholic community, um, very monastic style, although not traditional in other ways. So it was mixed men and women and priests. Um, everyone was committed to celibacy, but that's a bit unusual for a, a Catholic community. Um, and normally they're separated by gender. There are other things that were, that were unusual or experimental about it. But um, anyway, this experiment, this experience, which was three years of my life in my late thirties. It just changed everything about the way I live my life. And I wanted to share the insights that I had gotten by doing that. But I also wanted to try to explain what that was like and what that meant, even to people that aren't religious. Was there any specific impact you were hoping to have on a reader? I suppose, you know, in the U.S., this isn't a, this is a superficial impact. It's not a deep impact. Um, in the U.S., everyone looks to the East for spirituality. So it's a, it has a Christian tradition. So there are people that just go to church. But that's seen as being about right and wrong and morality. It's not seen about as spirituality, as, as a way of transforming the way that you live in a, that goes all the way down or, or a way of confronting the most profound facts about life. So spirituality in in the US, and I think also in Europe, it, we, we look to Buddhism, we look to Hinduism, we don't look to Christianity. And I wanted people to know, in the most simple level, I wanted people to know that there was a Christian spiritual tradition, that it was very rich, very deep, 
very old. I wanted non-religious people to know that, non-Christians. And then I also wanted Christians to understand that they had a spiritual tradition. <laughs> so that there's a way of looking at Christianity where it's not, we have a very politicized religion in the U.S., um, and it's, it's very much, if you're a Christian, you vote Republican sort of, <laughs> sort of a thing. And, or, you know, maybe you're a Christian and you decide, no, voting Republican is not the right thing. You should vote Democrat. But it's always about voting. It's never about the really deep things. So I wanted Christians to know that, that this tradition belonged to them. There was a way that spirituality was something that's it's at the core of Christianity. And it's a more... Uh, a more profound and more transformative way of looking at religion than just through morality. It's not without morality, but it's deeper. It's different. So I, I wanted to communicate a bit of what's what I think spirituality is in Christianity. We are definitely having a revolution of sorts, especially with the recent events. Um, yeah. Things that were never said before are now being said openly. I don't know if you feel this way or not, but there is this, I feel like there is this element of fear in the air all the time because of what's happening. <laughs> it's so, it's yeah. so unpredictable. And uh, for yes. those of us, like someone uh, like you and I, and I think most people, we will never hurt somebody in the name of religion, but that's not true for everyone, which right. is, which is strange to me because I think I noticed this even with your book. One of the reasons why I loved your book is because it intrigues. It will create intrigue without saying anything like this is how it should be done. Yes. And I love that. I love yeah. that. Yes. No, I, I um, It's part of the heritage of, I think, again, something about the U.S. You know, we send abroad our, you know, McDonald's and all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor Swift, what have you. But one of the things that I think it's, it's you know, liberalism with a small L, where what that means is you, you invite people, you persuade people, you don't tell them what to do. You don't interfere with their, their authority over their own lives. You know, everyone has authority over their own life. And so, you know, you, you invite, you encourage, you persuade, you talk but you, you give people their space. Mm -hmm. And I, that's something I've been really trying to think. I'm really grateful you said that because that's something I've really tried to do as a writer is not to, to invite my reader to, to, to follow their own reflections. And, you know, maybe they'll come to see things my way and maybe they won't. But that's, I would never have responded to a book that wasn't inviting like that, right? So if someone had written, you know, I'm a convert myself, I come from a non-religious background. And if someone had told me like, this is why you need to become Roman Catholic, ABC, I would have been, get away from me. Who are you to tell me what to do? I'm American. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, have these, I have these moments where if I'm planning to do something, but then somebody else comes across and tells me to do it, I'm like, no, I'm not gonna do it. I feel exactly. like the inner child is very much alive. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it's it's truthfully the worst way to get someone to do something is to tell them to do it. And the best hope you have is to communicate what you are grateful for in your own life sincerely, and then maybe people will like it and maybe they won't. Yeah, but you, it's the best you have is to just say, "Look, you know," and I think that's something I don't hear enough of in the writing, the things I read. 
just like, this is what I have that's good. And let me explain it. Let me talk to you about it. And then that's an invitation, but it, it doesn't, it's, it's not in order. It's, it's not a program. It's not a plan. It's just two people talking to another about what they have that's good. Um, yeah. Very true, very true. This is why it's so reassuring to have someone like you out there, someone who's so articulate, someone who's so brilliant talking on this subject because we need people like you. Because uh, again, I want I would no, want to know from you how you found religion to be an instrument of good and growth because I think that is where the focus should be and not on labels and, and specific rituals and specific practices. So would, would you care to talk about that? Yeah, I, I'll tell you what I think it meant for me in the most basic way. And I, I don't know if it's quite what came across in the book, but I, I think this is what's really most basically true for me. You know, as a, as a younger person, so I've always had a, a personality. I've always seemed like someone who was my own person, was unique and distinctive in certain ways. But the truth is that on the inside, I was always very fearful and and always looking for cues from other people as to what I should think, what I should feel, what I should like, what I should do, what I shouldn't do. And that went all the way down into my, you know, what kind of restaurant I would eat at, what kind of clothes I would wear, what, you know, what kind of jewelry I would wear, how I would think, how I would vote, you know, what I thought was right and wrong. And I know I didn't seem like that, but I was like that. And for me, Having a faith, it gave me the strength, a kind of inner strength to step back from what other people thought, step back from what was going to be hard to say or hard to do or might look strange or what have you. And it's just made it much more easy to do it. I've, the story of my faith life in, in the everyday is me doing things that felt terrifying because of how strange I knew they would look to other people. And the most dramatic example, of course, is, you know, I quit, I had this fancy career as an academic, which I walked away from to go live in this rural community in Canada that even Catholics hadn't really heard of. It wasn't like a very well-known place. You know, it wasn't a a prestige religious vocation, (laughs) if there is such a thing. So, you know, it was I, I, that was the hardest thing I've ever done, you know, to go to my teachers and my parents and my friends and say, I'm going to do this thing and it's going to be very different and it's not going to be anything that you understand and it might hurt your feelings and you might think it's a terrible thing to do, but I'm going to do it anyway. And that is just, I think, an extremely important thing for, for people to be able to do, whether as individuals or as families or as communities, you need some inner source of strength so that you have something that doesn't, that can't be taken away from you. Yeah. Um, I think that might be the core sort of psychological need for, for religion or for spirituality is that you need something that can't be taken away from you. Yeah. Um, that no matter what people think of you, no matter what catastrophe, if you get very ill, if you suffer some major loss, if you lose your job, you lose your family, whatever happens to you, there's something that nothing can take away. I I think that something like that is really, it's transformative. You're the same person that you, I'm the same, I have the same problems I've always had. I have the same 
mental illnesses and same <laughs> quirks and same personalities, same vices, same strengths I've always had. But I'm different because I have that that core, inner core. Yeah, I love that. I, I've been reading a lot. Like this is something I also believe that fear and faith cannot coexist. Because anytime I would read my scriptures, this thought would get repeated. If you have faith in me, God would be saying, then you shouldn't, there shouldn't be fear. Either I can be in you or there can be a lot of fear. So right. I, I love that. I <laughs> There's a beautiful, beautiful quote that I think about a lot. There's actually also a song, but it's, it's from Judaism. It's from uh, Rabbi Nachman of, of Breslau. Um, and he says, the whole world is a very narrow bridge. And I think about these bridges in the Himalayas, like these little suspension bridges, you know, but the only important thing is not to be afraid at all. So that image is, I just have that with me all, quite often. You're on a very narrow bridge. You can only go one step at a time. There's huge, terrifying prospects and you're fine. Just don't be afraid. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I think like a lot of the uh, things that we are doing in today's world are fear-based they're very like acceptance-based and acceptance of always has its roots in fear fear of getting rejected of being abandoned of you know being found wanting so lacking sorry so yeah i do i do agree with you but let me ask you this one thing there are people who would say i'm spiritual i'm not religious no. what do you think about that idea well i i don't want to be very critical because um I think it comes, at least in the American context, it comes from the 12-step programs, which are recovery programs for addicts and alcoholics. And um, it's a way, the truth is, honestly, those groups were founded, the principles are, are Roman Catholic, they're Christian principles, but they knew that not everyone would want to accept that. And when you're, when you're, when you're very broken um, from alcoholism or addiction, you don't want to be in a situation where you're, you're being kept away from the help that you need. So they, they devised this program and they call it a spiritual program, not a religious program. And what they meant was it, you don't have to have a specific commitment. You have to figure out for yourself what you're committed to, but here's the basic structure of it, which is, I'll, I can tell you what it, something about it because I've been in these programs a little bit. Um, you, you surrender. You realize that you don't have control. Yeah. You admit you face yourself, you face your faults, and then you turn towards others. I mean, those are the basic elements of spiritual and not religious. So I say that, that said, I think to me, being just spiritual sounds like, I think the danger of it is, I'd put it this way, the danger of it is it becomes about managing your feelings or your, your psychological condition. It becomes psychological. And I think you can see that danger very strongly in a lot of this more self-help modes of religion, mm -hmm. which is not a religion is supposed to help you. There's nothing wrong with trying to be helped, but you don't want to just manage your mind the way that you manage your health or your skin or your figure or your hair. You know, you want, you want to be connected to something outside of you. Yeah. And religion for me is what does it. It connects me with something outside of me that is to a personal, in my religion, a personal God. And that personal God has a history with humanity. Mm -hmm. It's a history with humanity into which, of which I am a part. 
And that's very rich. It's, it's a way of praying, a way of talking to God, a way of relating to others. It's a form of community. There's words, there's images, there's languages, there's rituals, and they're all aiming at, at union with the, the, with God, that is with the, the being of being, you know, with the most fundamental thing there is. And I, I think that that, it, that brings in the whole person. You're not just a manager of your inner states, <laughs> like, oh, I don't feel peaceful enough. You know, it, it's not about feeling peaceful enough. It's about being in touch with, with God, the person who made the world and the, who sent his son to redeem us and establish a church and ways of relating. So, so I don't know. So I'm, I'm a big fan of a, a full religion. Yeah. Me too. Um, with a, with a past, with traditions, with a community, um, there's all kinds of things that really matter about that. But I I also don't want to be too strict about it because there are people who've really been helped by not by just being handled more gently, and so that's 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 for them to work out. It's not for me to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think like. I agree with you. I share in your viewpoint. I have. I feel like it's such a, it's like a safe, like there's noise everywhere. And if you have a religion that you rely on, then you enter this building and everything's quiet. Everything's okay. There are security guards everywhere. You can just leave your stuff and explore. <laughs> That's the analogy I always use. And uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> no, it's true that things like that, things like having a church you can visit. Yeah. Things like uh, having a, a calendar, a liturgical year where there's feast days um, that, you know, th that's the time to celebrate. This is when we celebrate. This is when we fast. It's merciful to people like us because we have too many choices, most of us. I mean, most of us who are not um, in, in, in very bad circumstances. So it's, it's merciful to have, this is what we've always done. You know, here's a space, here are words, here's... Um, you know, you don't know how to get in touch with God. You don't have to figure it out for yourself. Just, just follow this way. This is what other people have done. They've been here before you. Yeah. I think, uh, I've heard a lot of people who are spiritual, but not religious say that religion is restrictive. It restricts us. And I can, I can understand why you would feel that way because religions are usually ritualistic. So then you feel, you feel like you feel compelled to follow those rules but I feel like, again, that's where fear comes in and not faith. It's not so much about faith. It's more about fear. So I and this is something I really want to explore with you. I think there is when you have been raised religious from an early age, which was not your experience, right? You were raised in a in a different kind of environment. I think then you have a different way of approaching religion. But when you are raised from childhood, as I was, you are fed these ideas that you may not necessarily agree with, but because they're fed into your brain at such an early age, um, even though my none of neither one of my parents are very dogmatic or very uh, fanatical about any of it, but I still had some uh, ideas that I cannot do this. Like Thursdays, I don't wash my hair, which just seemed like so weird. What's up with that? <laughs> but I was allowed to question them. But yeah. not in every environment are people encouraged to question things. And I think that's where fear comes in. And that's the, the sort of the suspicion people have around religion 
How do you feel about that? How do you feel about organizations, communities using religion actively to sort of establish control? I mean, I don't have any specific feelings about it, which is why I want to understand from you. And I think that would help a lot of listeners. So it it is trickier for me in a way because um, because for me rebellion was becoming religious. Eh? So, <laughs> um, so it, you know, in a way, I got everything. Um, yeah. But I, I think I can say this: that we live in a world where, unfortunately, everyone is always trying to control you in one way or other. So. Um, your parents do so, you know, sometimes for your own good and sometimes because they're human beings and they can't, they didn't know when to stop. Um, but your employer does these big companies that are always trying to sell us stuff. What do they want from us? Do they want our freedom? No. They want us to spend our money. They want us to be their slaves, in fact. So I think there's an illusion where it feels like if you escape one master and serve another that you're not that you're really just living for yourself. So imagine I grew up in a very restrictive household and then I'm set out into free consumer land, you know, where I can buy what I want, eat what I want, live like I want. It's going to feel liberating, but in fact there's someone who's in control the whole time. Um, you know, it's again my boss, it's the people that are selling me things, it's the, my friends or my relationships or my my spouse or my the person I'm dating or whatever it is. There's always someone who you're serving. So the question is not, you know, how do I be free from any constraint? Because no one can live like that. No one lives like that. There's no such thing. You know, I mean, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, like the richest guys in the world, they're not free. Yeah. Um, they're enslaved by, you can see them function. They're enslaved by competition, by envy, by um, fear of losing their status, certain kinds of signs of that status, a sense of responsibility for, you know, what am I supposed to do if I'm the richest man in the world? They're not free at all. So the question is, what, what kind of thing do you want to serve? And I think once you see, I don't know if I've ever seen that super clearly. I kind of think sometimes you only see in retrospect. But looking back, it's you you have to serve something. And the things that are right for you to serve, it feels genuinely restful. And like you are who you are. It might be hard sometimes. There might be things that you really, really don't want to do that are very painful. But you learn to trust it. And you know that your good is involved, right? This is what it means to me to worship a loving God. Yeah. It means I can obey God because God knows what my good be- better than I do. You know, if it were left up to me, I would be like, oh, which candy bar do I want? You know, which haircut do I want? What coolest city in the world to live in? But God knows what I want better than I So obedience is actually just a way to really get the most out of life because you're not always anxiously looking for the next thing and anxiously imagining that you have to make every decision. So it's, I, I really think it's true. You're never free from restraint. So what is it that you want to be restrained by? Choose your restraint. If you choose it, I think you'll choose something more like religion, honestly, than you will just being out there doing random things that don't go anywhere. Yeah, I think that's, 
I think that's a good, like, I would encourage people to think about that, journal about that. And I think that's a good starting point. But uh, carrying this thought forward, how would you encourage people that they explore this idea further? Like, what do you want to be, like, what restraints, what kind of restraints, like the, the soft, loving ones? the hands yeah. of god or do you want something else controlling you because something will as you said will always control you and also what method would you recommend they use to approach religion with if they're intrigued by what you proposed how do they follow it further okay that's an excellent question um i think the first most important thing is to have some space in one's life for silence and for solitude where there's empty space, so to speak. So give your phone to someone else to keep, like leave it in the office or whatever, or some other place or lock it in a drawer. Give yourself like even just an hour or half an hour or 20 minutes and do that with some regularity. Just get to know that empty space because things happen there that you're not letting happen anywhere else. And that's just a human thing. It's not that there's anything wrong with us for doing that. It's just the way we are. Um, we fill up our spaces because there's something we don't want to be looking at. So, so have that habit, a habit of silence, solitude. You can go for a walk. You can sit in a room, whatever it is. Just no devices and maybe no other people, just you. That's one thing. I recommend, of course, reading. Um, I'm a big book person, so read books that are old and full of wisdom. There are a lot of books like this, you know, there's scriptures in all the traditions, or there's also great works of literature, great works of philosophy, anything that's going to force you to open up a little bit to some bigger questions, some kind of reflection about so that you're stopping again it's like the silence and the solitude you stop and you have some space to reflect on bigger questions about what life is about so those are two things solitude and silence reading but the third thing in a way is the simplest and that is to what's you know look at what's around you what's in your community so for instance i became roman catholic why well I had three kinds of religious friend. <laughs> there were three, three people in the world that I operated, which was an academic community mostly. Some were Jewish. Some were the type of Christian that's called uh, Episcopalian. It's Anglican. I guess that's pretty obvious in India. But okay, so what, some were Anglican. Some were uh, Catholic. And I just worked my way down. I was like, first I'll try this, and then I'll try this, and then I'll try this, you know. But... If you don't have know any religious people, if you don't have your own heritage, or if you don't have friends that are involved in one, then look in what's what's in your area. Is what temple is there? What mosque is there? What church is there? What what, what do your coworkers do? Because there's so much all around you. The thing about religion that fascinates me still is that it was around me my whole life. And I never saw it. Yeah. So, you know, around the street from where I grew up, this very, very secular, left-wing, progressive, like non, non-religious environment. Right around the corner, there's a huge Gothic church, and there's a convent of nuns, of uh, the, the missionaries of charity, the Mother Teresa nuns. I used to see them walk around in habits when I was growing up. It never entered into my consciousness, 
there were religious people, there were shrines, there were people going to church, there were people praying, but I never saw it. So that's going, that's probably no matter where you are, that's going on around you right now. And it will be helpful anyway for you to be connected to your, the place that you are and for you to be connected to other people who are involved in the community because you need community. Uh, I think those are kind of the three things that it, and, and just also to, to trust that you'll figure it out um, and to be a little bit adventurous, push yourself a little bit, but you don't have to do something crazy, you know, just push yourself a little bit. Talk to someone who's a little bit, not the sort of person you would normally talk to. Okay. okay. And then, you know what I'm saying? Yes. And then I think you become more and more bold when you realize how interesting and how fun it is. I mean, it's an adventure. <laughs> life is life is a beautiful adventure. So it's, it's not something to be afraid of. Yes, yes. I, I love that answer. And I have so many questions now. <laughs> okay. How much would you encourage people to question what they're learning? Say you get you feel called to a particular religion, be it Hinduism, Christianity, whatever. Um, how much would you question what you're learning? Well, I'm a questioner by nature. I'm trained that way in philosophy. But I think the main thing is not questioning, it's honesty with oneself. One of the things that's really key about a spiritual life, about a life with religion, is that lying to yourself never gets you anywhere. So don't pretend that you're okay with something that you're not okay with. That doesn't mean you have to shout and yell and, you know, run out of the room. I mean, maybe you will, that's okay. Uh, But, you know, you have to say to yourself, you know, I'm not comfortable with that. I don't understand that. And ask God to make it clear to you. Say, you know, God, I don't understand this. Tell me what it is. And also one of the signs of a healthy religious community is that they will accept your honest questions. So it's one of the dangers, and I want to be very frank about this because I think it's very serious. When you're when you're seeking a religion or when you're new in a religion, you can be very vulnerable, very uh, open because you're opening up parts of yourself that have never been opened up. And unfortunately, the world is full of people who who will take advantage of that in the ways that are bad. That's one of the reasons why honesty is so important because you don't want to, in a way, we live at like two poles, two extremes. And one is where you just accept everything, you know, like, okay, whatever you say, I'll do whatever you say. Absolutely. Complete obedience. Um, oh, I think there's something wrong with that, but let's not think about that. And then complete questioning rebellion. And we don't know how to do the thing that's in between, which is you find people that you trust and you trust them slowly. You know, you don't, you don't do everything at once. And then you do some things trustingly and other things you say, I don't, I don't understand this, but you you want to be around people who accept your honest reaction. If they don't accept your honest reaction, there's something wrong because those aren't people who accept you as a human being. They're people that want a particular reaction from you. You have to be honest with yourself and you need to find people who will let you be honest with yourself and who even encourage it. Yeah. Um, That doesn't mean that you always do exactly what you want, but it means that you are able to say, for instance, within a monastic community, one of the signs of a healthy monastic, monastic communities are all under obedience. So you, you're supposed to do what someone tells you to do. That's part of the spiritual principle. You, you have to do that. 
But the places where you're supposed to do what your superior says, and you're not even supposed to think about it. Now, that's not a good place. You know, the place where your superior says, do this, dig that ditch or whatever it is. And you say, I don't really understand why I'm supposed to do that. Shouldn't we be doing this other thing? And they say, okay, thanks for saying that. I think you should do it anyway. That's a healthy community. Right, right. So yeah, honesty and humanity and simplicity are the key, the, the, the signs of a, of a good place and of a, a place where you are comfortable with who you are and, and with the direction which you're growing. And it's very important because of how vulnerable and so how dangerous it can be to open yourself up to something new. Yeah. Thank you so much for that answer, because I think that is hugely, hugely a very, very helpful answer. I was going to ask you, like, uh, if you can uh, help people understand the kind of teachers they should follow. But that, I think, clarifies it a lot. Um, now, I, I want to ask you about you are you encourage people to question uh, whatever they're learning. And I appreciate that as well. Now, surrender versus conviction. I feel like uh, the more. Uh, I've always been religious, but the more I practice it actively, like the chunks of my day are dedicated to it, I'm cultivating these deep, deep convictions. I don't feel the need to force them on anyone or even talk about them all that much. But I'm also, there is so much more surrender. But I've always found it hard to explain to people. It, can you um, help my listeners understand like the coexistence of these two elements, surrender and conviction? I love the question. I think it works like this. I'm not sure. I think that the conviction and the surrender are helping one another. So when you first surrender, you don't really know that it's going to work. You don't really know that it's good for you. You don't really know that peace is going to come from it. You're just trusting. Maybe what someone else told you, or maybe a particular procedure, way of life. So when you surrender that way, that's a kind of conviction because you trust whatever you're following enough to do that. But then... When you see the fruits of that, then your conviction gets deeper because you realize that the thing that you were told from the beginning was true. You were following a good rule. And so then you're strong enough to just surrender some more because you've done it before. So I think that's the kind of the, that's what you'd always want if you, in this kind of life, is to get more and more surrendered and more and more convinced. And that, when I say that, that makes you sound like, you're becoming a zombie or something, but it isn't like that because you're still, sometimes it's happening just at a very, very deep level. Um, surrendering can just mean putting one foot in front of the other. It doesn't have to mean, oh, I'm so peaceful. Like I show no signs of disturbance. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the, the saints in the Roman Catholic church, who I think about a lot, very famous from the 19th century, St. Therese of Lisieux, French, very young woman, she died at 23 from tuberculosis. In the last two years of her life, she had no experience of God. She felt like an atheist and she endured it. So it wasn't like she was an atheist because deep down in the core of who she was, she knew that God was real. And she knew that this was something that she was enduring and had to surrender to to see what was on the other side of it. So I think, you know, or you think about surrendering in the, in the face of grief. It doesn't mean you don't weep and wail and, you know, do everything that a human being would do, but you know at the core of your being that you need to keep going one step at a time in this one direction. But down there, the conviction and the surrender are reinforcing each other. Right. The more you surrender, the more you trust. The more you trust, the more you surrender. It just keeps going. Yes. And that's, that's such a, like, a lovely answer. 
so uh, positive. I love that. Um, yeah, I think like when I read Bhagavad Gita, the, the whole principle of surrender was to stay balanced. Don't fly too high when you're happy and triumphant and don't go into the pits of despair when things are not going your way. Stay balanced because I am controlling everything. This is where I think it gets like very interesting because religion doesn't leave much room for ego. I mean, in the most in the friendliest of way. It's like, yeah. I am in control. Calm down. Relax. Don't freak out so much. I got this. <laughs> it's so hard. Now, this is where I think it gets really interesting because I am someone who is very, like, leaning towards a very ascetic lifestyle. I, like, I'm practicing. My mother is always very afraid. She's always afraid she's going to get up in the morning. And I would have, like, a little uh, thing packed on my shoulder. And I'd be like, bye, I'm going to the jungles. I'm never coming back. <laughs> she's actively afraid. So <laughs> whenever she sees, like, it's been two hours. She's been praying for two hours. She'll be standing outside like this. She's like, what are yep. you doing? Are you not going to work today? <laughs> yep. But I find it very interesting because the more, if I, like, yesterday I spent all day in prayer. My My internal world was very different. But when I'm working and praying, I feel like I go between worlds. I travel between worlds. I'm so disturbed sometimes and I'm so calm the other times. Like this, this duality to it. I don't know if you've ever found that because you spent, actively spent this time in, in a community that was dedicated to these ideas. So then please talk about like ego, religion, and do you have to be an ascetic to fully lean into that energy? It's a hard question because... Um, you, you've kind of answered it like with your previous question because I think that yeah. really explains the surrender versus conviction the way you've explained it I think that's massively helpful I'm just like wanting to take it a bit further I mean the funny thing about me being this person who always talks about asceticism is that by nature I'm like a hedonist like I like food and <laughs> you, know, you know things that smell good and comfortable chairs and I like to do what I want. So I think part of what asceticism does is, to me, it feels actually a bit more like obedience or something, like, or, or silence. It's just, it's just a kind of a freedom. You're just removing a distraction. Mm. You know, you're, you're clearing the air, and then that allows for other things to happen, you know. I mean, one of the things for some, I don't know, this is maybe seem like a dumb example, but when I lived in the community, one practice we had was, you know, we wore, we, people donated their old things to us. And that's where your clothes came from. They came from donation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You didn't buy clothes. You would find something that someone has, had gotten rid of. And, and you, you could, you could choose what you wanted, you know, and find things that, that fit you better than others and wear certain colors, but you weren't going to buy anything. It was going to be something that someone else had worn. So sometimes that was, you found good things and sometimes you had to do without something for a long time. But in a way, that's also a kind of liberation because you just didn't have to think about it anymore. Yeah, also it wouldn't leave much room for ego then. Well, it, you're wearing someone else's clothes. I think that maybe, in itself is a huge step. Yeah, maybe maybe I need to hear more about what you think ego is. So initially, like before I uh, started reading the scriptures, I would always say religion was pride, arrogance of to a you know certain degree, having this belief that I I am doing this. This is all me, me, me. Uh, then I st started reading the scriptures, and I realized you are not doing anything. You are simply the instrument. And also, like ego is, I started to feel like 
then you you sort of renounce that identity that is all you oriented and you start feeling part of a larger whole and also just how tiny you i mean you matter to god immensely but you're also like this tiny tiny being so i, I i'm still fleshing this out i'm still fleshing yeah, this yeah, idea yeah. out yeah so i think that kind of thing i notice more with that's more like obedience for me than that's the type of asceticism it is because part of what happens when you're under an ob- obedience and you can be under obedience by the way of course at work or you know it doesn't have to be a fancy community with its own arcane rules um i mean even where i work now the college i work people have different jobs some people are in authority and some people aren't now if you're like me you always think you know best you have a big imagination you see a big picture and so you're always thinking about ways things could be better and the the person in charge they're not doing their job as well as you could do it you think now that's where my ego is the worst so it's in that kind of context where i'm like i should be in control because you the person the human being in charge you don't know what you're doing and so for me obedience is the the hardest and the most important of the forms of asceticism because i have to say you know what god has ordered things so that this other person's in charge and i'm not and <laughs> um and i have to trust that that's the way things are supposed to be and in fact i probably don't see everything i think i see and even if i do that other person is learning something even when i'm absolutely right and they're absolutely wrong they something else needs to happen that isn't just me being right and things going well so a lot of the the hardest kind of asceticism for me is knowing that things maybe are supposed to go a bit badly because what matters is not what i think things going well is it doesn't matter what i think uh, a good student or a, a good dean or a good college looks like what matters is each of these human beings that's involved working out their own their own thing their own journey and that's deeply humiliating for me in in a very very healthy way <laughs> do you think the, yeah. after having lived in the community do you think you're better at it oh yes because um you know i was older than other people who were entering the community i was already in my late 30s many of them were in their 20s or early 30s so 10 to 15 years younger than me and i was a person with experience who was intelligent and who was older and sometimes i mean sometimes being told what to do is like being in an excellent school it's like someone knows better than you and you're learning and that's the best kind i love that i love that i love to learn but then sometimes someone would be in charge and i would i would be confident that what they were asking me to do was wrong or didn't make sense and you just had to do it and then you saw what the results were and something important happened that wouldn't have happened otherwise so you you learn that that's how things are supposed to work so it's it's actually one of the main things i learned i think from that community cuz i i now see people who haven't had that kind of experience mm-hmm. and all they do is complain you know like complain 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 it's like there's no this is how things are supposed to work complaining is this sort of self-indulgent thing where you are ima- you're imagining that if you were in charge everything would be perfect yeah yeah we're so desirous of all good things and yet when the bad comes around we're suddenly there's this wall of resistance Yeah. which i think you know you should i don't know i mean it is challenging to stay in that flow and not 
question and not complain that is definitely very hard and even um, with like i've met a lot of ascetics especially on this like the part that i'm now on i'm exploring this more and more and i met ascetics who are like you want to sit and just smile at them their energy is so wonderful so wonderful they are it's they're amazing and yet you've met ascetics who have very firm ideas there you you can't negotiate with them they're going to give you this like this is how like i met an ascetic and he's like you should be using your podcast to propagate ideas of sanatan dharma like hinduism and you should be teaching and i'm like no i'm <laughs> i'm not going to do that <laughs> and like he wasn't a he, he's a wonderful guy and he feels like religions are under attack and everyone should be protecting the wonderful parts of the religion which is actually a great idea yes but he doesn't quite understand how the he's been living in a in seclusion for so long i'm like come come watch a news channel and and maybe you'll change your mind <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so it's so interesting and this is what i love i feel like keep questioning but and again you can uh, you can refuse to answer this but based on what has happened in the recent few months i see a lot of conviction in people which to me has become it looks dangerous and now here's where uh, again you can absolutely refuse to answer this do you think uh, hate for any human can coexist with religious inclinations with love for god well i think I, i'll definitely answer it i it's hard to answer though because i think being committed to something like being a being a religious person can be complicated so some people maybe they've never really been religious it's just a social thing or it's a, an image of some kind that they have of themselves and then of course it's compatible with hatred because you it's just skin deep right and in fact it's even useful for hatred because you can say well i'm right and you're wrong and so and then i think truly holy people right the way you recognize a holy person is lack of hatred but so so i think in that sense i think you're absolutely right like you know hatred is a sign that someone is is not fully grown at the best you know the best thing you could say but i think that there are people in the middle who they're struggling and part of them knows the right way but something unsettles them and gets them off track and um i mean for me you know it it's yeah it's hard. i definitely I don't understand the confidence that I'm seeing from people at this particular time knowing what I know about the particular situations <laughs> you know I don't understand I I honestly don't understand how anyone has the confidence to hate because what I see is is something that's almost beyond comprehension and if I were in a different position if I were a political leader a general a diplomat if I had to go then I might be I might have to make choices but i don't as it happens no one needs to I, i have i don't need to weigh in on this thing so i can say you know my gosh you know god only you can untie this knot because it's not i i, I can't see it i can't see a way out yeah um and that i th i think that that's good luck on my part of grace and i would say in my religion that in this moment i'm doing that but sometimes i mean hate is a human thing and i think especially especially as a response to to a wrongdoing you know it's 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 almost irresistible there's a famous controversy in um especially in christianity so there are these 
the Psalms in the Bible, and they're part of the regular prayer of the Christian churches, especially the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church. And some of them are very vengeful. So there's one especially where someone says, oh God, if you would destroy my enemies, you know, crash the heads of his children against the rocks. They don't read it in churches because it doesn't sound Christian, but there it is. It's in the scriptures. What are you supposed to do with that? And I think you're not supposed to say, in a way I wish we read it in church, because you're not supposed to say, oh, how awful, yuck. You're supposed to say, I am a human being and that belongs to me and only God can heal it, you know? So I suppose that's how I, that's what I would like to feel about hatred. Not to be in the middle of it so that it's taken over me so that I'm willing to commit violence or to harm others, but where I acknowledge that it, it belongs to me as a human being. I can hate. And the only reason I'm not hating is because of God's grace, God's providence. Otherwise, I would be hating because that's what we do. We hurt each other and then we hate each other. Yeah. Thank you so much for that answer. Also, this is why, see, this is why I decided never not to do a solo episode yet because I, this was like a, a good moment for me where I was like, I don't think I would be a very good person to talk about religion because I feel like there will be points where I'll be like, this is right, do this. And then there will be points like where I'll not know anything. And this is why this is so, I'm so glad. And I've been so, so keen on having you on because we need people like you to talk about these topics. And yes, I'm so glad that I'm not a journalist at this time, not a political leader at this time. <laughs> would not want to be in those positions. No, I, I, it's, you know, and all of the, what I find particularly horrifying and beyond my all of the connect, all the situations seem connected to one another. So there's violence here, there's violence there. They're not unconnected. Like there's Ukraine, there's the Holy Land, and then you know there's China, and then there's whatever is going on in India, and there's it's all over the. And then there's what's going on in the U.S. And there's probably much much more connection. So how am I supposed to untangle that? No way. Absolutely not. Couldn't do it. The funniest thing is, because um, now I'm reading uh, my scriptures, which I didn't do growing up. Do- growing up, we just did the mantra chanting. Like my m- mother would teach me prayers. We would just do those. Uh, now I'm reading all of my scriptures. And the funny thing is, when I, somebody, uh, it was in the news that Hinduism is responsible for caste discrimination. And I was shocked. I'm like, what? Where did you get that? I'm reading. I didn't see that anywhere. Because the scriptures that I have read actively talk about the fact that nobody is different. Like an atheist is also very much a part of God and a, a person of another religion, another, they're all parts of God. And Hinduism divides uh, society based on your character. Like if you're someone who is into scriptures, you become a Brahmin. If you're someone who's happy to do the cleaning work, you become a Shudra. So that's based on your occupation and your character and what you're choosing to do it has nothing to do with birth. And I'm, I was so shocked. So this is the funny thing, and it will, I think, will help certain listeners who are afraid of encountering such ideas, like you pointed out, in religion, where you are hating and you are condemning your enemies and wanting them to be destroyed. It's the same scripture. If two people can read this same scripture and come away with something completely different. I read Bhagavad Gita and I realized that like this huge chunk of it was meet people where they're at. 
and if someone is completely against bhagavad gita itself like they don't believe in lord krishna they don't want to know about it don't yeah. don't read it to them don't invite them even to read it it's there if they want it someday they yeah. can find it you are yeah. not you should not like god would not be happy if you went and forced them like here read it read it read it and yet i find people holding bhagavad gita and stopping people on the road and asking them to read it and i'm like this is this is so funny but this is i think something we should all keep in mind it is a lot about your perception so if all you see is hate maybe question your perception and your judgment again yeah, no, i'm fleshing this out <laughs> no no i i think that's right because i mean i think i might say something um coming from a more secular background one of the things that took me some time to realize was that okay there's a certain type and they i think there are real people like this there are religious people who hate they hate people who aren't of their religion they say i mean they probably maybe they hate all kinds of things but they hate that the non the people that aren't in their group but you know what you go outside of religion which is a bigger and bigger part of the world all the time and you know what those people hate too you don't need religion to hate yeah and that to me says it's not you can use anything anything so there's true. something in us that hurts and wants to to exert some power over the world and through hatred and we'll use anything we'll use absolutely anything so um i don't think it's necessarily connected to religion that's one thing that i'm hearing in what you're saying yeah but the other thing i'm hearing is that a tradition a real one a, a old deep tradition a spiritual religious tradition it's it's a whole uh world it isn't one or two like rules that you follow or ways of it's there's a whole uh world of in all kinds of roles that you can inhabit in it and it develops over time you know there are things which you see one way when you first start and there's thing they look differently later it it's it's like traveling in a different country or or like i say a different world so it's it's not i think from the outside it looks one dimensional you know here's what i am i'm right and you're wrong but when you're inside it it doesn't look that way at all and it's the same is true for restrictions like ascetic restrictions you know from the outside it looks like oh wow you're not allowed to do x y and z from the inside it doesn't feel that way it it really is there's a reason why they call it conversion when you go you know in in our language in in the west when you go from one religion to another or from non-religious to religious because it's a it's a transformation of what you see and i can see why that's scary from the outside but it's whatever it is it's not superficial it's not simple it's it's not like joining a political party it's not like choosing a favorite color of ice cream it's 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 rich and deep and just full of corners and spaces that you wouldn't have imagined and i i find this very i think this is something you just kind of have to take on board which i found with my like the, the hindu scriptures was you will encounter things that either don't make sense to you or make sense to you and then you're like no why why would you that's yeah. not <laughs> why is this here like yeah. but again it's it's you feel compelled to defend your religion but at the same time you kind of have to understand that some of it has been interpreted by humans yeah. and that there is their personalities involved very much involved in it That's and then right. you're you're a human with your own experience 
And no matter how evolved you might believe yourself to be, you're very prone to even negative emotions. You may generally be a good person, but there is this degree of susceptibility that we all have. Yes, yes, exactly. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) that that is what like, yeah, it's such a huge thing. Um, But thank you. I think you really like clarify things for me. Okay, do you think we can have like an ascetic soul in a materialistic world? Do you think we can? (laughs) Can we do that? I mean, of course. But but that's, I think you do like, based on what I've read, what I've heard in your videos about the intellectual pursuits, which in, in a way is very like, of the world like of the materialistic world and from your book i feel like you you do you you may have all of this love for materialistic thing but i think you have an aesthetic soul i don't know (laughs) it's that now when you put it that way then i feel ashamed because i know all the ways you know that i um that i am materialistic um even though i I, I, but I find it, why can't I, but can the principle the two principles coexist because i feel like asceticism is very much like you've pointed out it's very much of, about acceptance about tolerance about it's not necessarily renunciation of comfort or am right. i wrong i don't know again i'm fleshing no, this no, out. I, think, I think you're right so i i say that what it it's really about detachment right asceticism so and that's why you're right that maybe i'm not sure actually i think i probably have some growth <laughs> in this area that I need to do. But what matters is what asceticism is about. It's about where your heart is, where your commitment is. So I can, you know, I mean, this is the thing in, uh, maybe it's not in the religious life book. It might be in the other one. There's something that St. John of the Cross, the great Christian mystic says um, about King David, who's the, you know, the author of the Psalms, the great King of Israel. And he says, King David, you know, he's the person who's the speaker of the Psalms, but he's a king. So he says, I am a wretched, I'm a poor man. You know, what does he mean? He's the greatest king that's ever existed in Israel. Why does he say I'm poor and wretched? And what St. John says is that David is poor because he doesn't care about his kingship. He doesn't care about his wealth. He has it. He uses it. But if... If for God's sake he had to give it all up, he would do it. So the question about asceticism is about your your it's about wholeheartedness. It's about what you love, where your heart is, and that's why it is compatible with, you know, like I'm wearing a nice cashmere sweater and I have nice silver earrings, you know. Um, but you know, I hope that if God said to me, you know, now is time to wear a gunny sack and put a, a sack on your back and go off into the jungle that I would say, okay, it's time to go. Yeah. And that's, that, that's really the thing that that's the goal is to be ready to be sort of on the, on notice that none of these things, the material things matter. And I think it's very much, you know, in a way, in a way, I think it's easier. Okay. This might be wishful thinking, but um, this might be wishful thinking. In a way, it should be easier because the the world that we're entering into, and maybe the U.S. is a bit, quote unquote, ahead in India on this. Really, it's behind, but okay. It's such a superficial society. It's the the consumerism is so pervasive and so shallow that you can't you can't 
live the rest of your life in it. I mean, you know, I know young people who they spend all of COVID watching Netflix and playing video games, you know, and then they just, they ran out of, they couldn't do it anymore. And then, so they, so they became parts of them opened up. So in a way, um, that's the hopeful, wishful thought that in a way, the worse things get, the more commercial, the more material, the more consumerist they get, the harder it will be to believe that they really are going to be fulfilling. And the more that people will search for things that things that will endure, things that they can hang on to, things that will be there no matter what. I think that that's true. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I think you, what you are doing, I, I mean... I admire you so much for it because I think there a day of reckoning will come when everyone will need and I think they will look to religion for support and I want religion to be a, a point of like a super friendly place, a super open and accepting place because it's not about my religion or your religion. It's about the wonderful parts of what I learned from certain scriptures and the other wonderful parts that I learned from another scripture. And then maybe perhaps following one religion in the sense that it gives you a structure like you pointed out. It gives you this guardrail. It gives you this place of faith and allows you to follow that through. And that is what, why do we have to pick one superior to the other? There is always going to be something very provocative and not in a good way about all of them. And you you kind of have to use your own discernment. Well, about that. I, I think that in a way you, I mean, I, I of course I agree that's this is the way I try to write also, right? What I want things to be welcoming and open and comfortable and not judgmental. But the truth is that no matter what, mm-hmm. it there's going to be an obstacle because in a way there should be, because to follow God, whatever your faith, it's it's to give over your life. It's to lose control. I mean, really you don't have control anyway, but it's to admit it. Yeah. So it's going to be hard anyway. So there are people, you know, I um I'm lucky, you know, I'm I'm successful and I'm charming and I I talk to people well. So but there are people who who like me who really they don't get that I'm religious. It it repels them. So they have this attraction and and also a kind of revulsion. It's like how could you like how could you do that? Right, and that's just the way it is. There's nothing I can do about that. It's not my responsibility to manage it for them. I'm doing the best I can. Yeah, and in the end, you can't take responsibility for the obstacles that people have for themselves. It's not. It's not yours, and it's the way things are. And more and, and that is part of the materialist consumer society is that the the obstacle is harder to get over. Because it's so easy to do something different. Yeah. It's so easy to float along with life and not really have to face the tough stuff. Yeah. I'm hoping to like reach a place where I have found so much peace and comfort in my religion where I don't feel the need to uh, ever, like I'm happy, have my life be an example of the wonders of it, the things religion can do for you. I want right. someone to look at me and say, okay, religion did that for her. She looks like she, she's got it. So let me also follow this with maybe my own religion, maybe her religion, maybe whatever. And yeah. not, and when somebody attacks me, be like, okay, 
I'm good. That's fine. You, you can do you. I'm going to do me. <laughs> I love that. that. We'll all get there someday. Man, I really hope so. I, I want that. I do not ever want to be the reason someone goes home disturbed and having feeling like they've just had a very unpleasant experience. I know, but you won't be able to avoid it. I'm sorry. I know that's the thing that's the price of conviction when you are even you have conviction you can't help but be like no you are wrong and here's why (laughs) oh man (laughs) it's also a matter of discernment sometimes sometimes is this is something also part of what I think is funny for me about religion too is that it's it's corresponded with getting older so I, I think part of what I experience isn't so much from faith so much as just being more of an adult, but you know, you have to sometimes be very unpleasant to people and you have to do it. Um, and it, it's the right thing to do. So, so you can't get too attached to yeah. being comfortable either. It's yeah. just not going to work. Yeah. This is the, exactly the conversation I had with that person that I told you about that aesthetic, that guru, he was yeah. like, no, but you have to, when you see something wrong and you know your scripture can help, you have to share it. How can you not? You yeah. have to believe in your scripture and your God enough to be able to say, no, no, this is, look, yeah. here's a better way. And I feel like, but then I'm, I always think like, okay, then what is the difference between me and the people I see on TV? And my yeah. mother would always say, no, but you have a code by which you work. You would never hurt somebody just because they're not listening to you or just because they're not doing things how you want them done. Yeah. But so, uh, yeah. Sometimes you do it. My own view is sometimes you have to do it and sometimes you don't. And you you have to judge it by circumstances. Mm-hmm. And it's true. What your mother says, I mean, that seems right. That it's it's one thing. The problem with religious hatred, it isn't that people are unpleasant or that they upset people. It, it Something else has gone wrong, right? It's that they're acting for their, they're acting selfishly. If it's hatred, they're they're hurting someone else for their own gain, their own their own ego, as you put it. Yeah. And whereas being unpleasant when it's right, it's for someone else's good. Right. Yeah. Not for yours. Too, for sure. And yeah. it's yeah, it's it's not for your good. In fact, you might hate really hate doing it. Yeah. But it, you know that it's the only way this other person is going to be is going to have you know the other person needs it for some reason. Yeah, like when you talk about meditation, the eye roll is so hard on the other side, (laughs) but you're like, no, 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 but I'm still going to finish this thought because you're going to love it when you do it. (laughs) Exactly. And you don't always, (laughs) the thing is that you don't always know from how someone reacts. It's just from my experience as a teacher, actually. Yeah. Someone can react negatively, but in fact, it's taken root and they're thinking about it. And it's, and so something's going on, like, they, they act like, oh, that's such a horrible, stupid, oh. But in fact, it's it's doing something else. In the long term, it's a positive effect. But you, so you can't even always tell. Um, in a way, that's why it's better not, you know, not to be too, not to be too sensitive about what's going on with other people. Anyway, it's hard. Life is impossible. <laughs> yes, sometimes it really is. <laughs> I know I've reached the end of my time with you, but it, I just had one last Please. question. Uh, if you could, like if right now God showed up, what question would you ask him or her? <laughs> what are you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> I agree. <laughs> no, that was a joke. What would I really ask him? 
Oh, I I don't know. I think I think I wouldn't ask them anything. I think I would just say, "Oh my gosh, there it is." I would want to be in the moment, you know. Yes. It's like uh, you know, if I could see my my grandmother again, you know, who died years ago. It's like, what would I ask her? I wouldn't ask her anything. I would just want to be there. Well, what do you know? We've reached the end of this episode. Thank you so much for joining me today, for supporting the podcast, and for sharing your time with me. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to the show on whatever podcast platform you love. You can also watch the video version of the interviews and most of the solo episodes on my YouTube channel. Link is in the episode description. Now, if you made it this far, you must love the content at least a little bit, or maybe you just like hanging out with me, or there was something in this particular episode that resonated with you. Or maybe it's all of those things. I would love to know. So if you've got a minute, it will be great if you can drop a review on Apple Podcasts or you can send me your thoughts on the show via email. Now, if you want content that goes deeper than even the podcast does with a lot of real life stories, one-on-one interactions, or just become part of my tribe, subscribe to my weekly newsletter. The link is in the episode description. Once again, thank you so, so much for sharing your time with me. Take care and I will be back soon with the next episode. Mm